Good afternoon. We are together for our Friday afternoon Erev Shabbat class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida and spiritual leader, the Emisphere Program. Today, the rabbi is going to be speaking about Sukkot of this year with the topics as follows. The invincibility of Jewish purpose and the joy of fulfillment and completion. The month of Tishrei is anonymously sponsored in the merit of this learning to bless our families, our children and grandchildren with Torah learning, with uh, ease of Shiduchim, meaning finding the right mate, Parnassah, uh, good in Torah living, good health, Shalom bias, peace in our homes, and uh, and a blessing for all in the community. Also, in the loving memory of the soul of Yitzhak ben Zusman Hakohen, and also in uh, to elevate the soul of Nishmas of the soul of Rochel Basbero. This week's class is dedicated in the merit of a Rufo Shalema, a complete healing for David ben Aliza. Eitan Shmuel ben Hanasima, David ben Leah, Dovber Tzvi, Hirsch ben Dina, Yosef Shimon ben Sarina, Ayelet bas Dalia Chaya, and Hanamiri bas Rahel Reza, and Hatikonos, the children, the twins of B'nai Kela. May we think about them as we learn Torah for a full healing and also for a joyous and happy Sukkot. Without further delay, Rabbi Kivaswai. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a joy, as always, to be with you. I know that many people today are extremely busy, whether it's with preparing the sukkah or the four species or something called yamtiv food. Uh, we are going to have two days, Shabbos and yamtiv. <clears throat> so just a little bit outline of the holiday itself, and then we'll get right to the shir. Uh, this coming week, we have Chol HaMoed, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday night is what we call Hoshana Rabbah, which is part of Sukkot, and it's the day when it's understood by most uh, commentaries that that's the final, final judgment. That's literally the last call. Uh, there are special services there for Friday morning, and then uh, we conclude that part of the Sukkot holiday and begin Shemini Atzeres a week from tonight on Friday night, Shabbos, and that also here outside the land of Israel is two days. And most people celebrate Simchas Torah on the second of those two days, so essentially a week from, let's say, Shabbos, Sunday. That's sort of the outline of the holiday. I bring all of that up because one of our overview points is that we've just now concluded what we normally think of as the days of awe, and hopefully the fear of judgment and trepidation about our faith is somewhat over. Nonetheless, we are taught that Hoshana Rabbah is, in fact, the final day, and that that day is when the last, last hope that anyone has to be inscribed into the Book of Life uh, actually takes place. And, in fact, there's a custom to recite the Yiddish phrase, a good kvittel, which means like a good note that a person should have uh, in terms of their ultimate sealing of this judgment. In addition, 
Some people say piskatava, which is a Aramaic way of saying a good note. Either way, the obvious question is if we hopefully prepared an Elul for Rosh Hashanah, and then on Rosh Hashanah we did due diligence in synagogue and we prayed fervently and accepted God as our king, and then because we know that most people are supposed to view themselves as a benoni, a person in between, not necessarily either wicked or righteous, then we hopefully repented very sincerely in the days of repentance from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. And then, of course, we had Yom Kippur, which has a lot of davening, a lot of Shmona Esrei's, a lot of confessions. And we've said slichos many, many times throughout this last 45 days or so. So the question is, what does it mean that we would still have an opportunity to somehow merit to be sealed in the Book of Life if that's not already taken place with all those other activities of prayer, repentance, charity, slichos, being in shul, fasting, if all of that did not bring us into the Book of Life, what is happening now, post-Yom Kippur, post-Ne'ilah, that we can say, oh, you know what? Nonetheless, we can still make it into the Book of Life. Is this some sort of fantasy and like wish? Or is there a reality to the way that this works, that even after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, attendees, repentance, etc., it's still possible to merit being written in the Book of Life? So that's overview question number one. Number two, if we look at the Torah reading, and specifically the half Torah reading, of the first day of Sukkot, it comes from Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. And there are some pretty famous concepts and sentences, phrases that are spoken in that Haftorah. As for example, perhaps the most famous, it says in chapter 14, sentence nine, that it will be on that day, God will be king over the earth. And, his, and God and his name will be one. Hashem echad echad. Of course, that's how we finish the Olenu prayer uh, three times a day. So that is always understood to be referring to the ultimate future when finally there has been a reckoning of the war of Gog and Magog, the final, final cataclysmic war that is supposed to bring to conclusion the end of all wars, as the prophet describes here also in uh, Zechariah 14 of the devastation that happens. And this is a very clear uh, prophecy, even though it's always hard to understand the prophecies, it's very clear that uh, it's, there's going to be tremendous problems because of this war, but also that there will be a brand new spring of water, a Mayim Chayim, that is going to issue forth from Yerushalayim. And then the Pasuk says what I read before, that Hashem will be one and his name will be one on that day. In addition to that, in addition to all the chaos and the hullabaloo that's happening on that day, the Navi also says in the same chapter 14, this sentence 16, that anyone who remains from the nations of the world that come to Yerushalayim, they will come up to bow to the King Hashem and to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. 
That means postscript of this ultimate war, this future war that we refer to as the ultimate war, the non-Jews of the world are going to come to Yerushalayim to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. Why? Why, why Sukkot? Why not Pesach? Why not come for a nice Shabbos? What's the idea that the, the non-Jews of the world are coming to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot? And then further, the prophet also goes on to explain that if any countries do not participate, don't come to Yerushalayim to bow to the King Hashem, they will not have rain. They will not get rain. That's what the prophet says. And it seems that these concepts of which, you know, we are familiar with the ultimate future war and the fact that Hashem will be recognized as king, it seems that this has something very, very particular to do with the holiday of Sukkot. Why? What is it about Sukkot? In fact, when we think about Sukkot, the simple explanation of the Sukkot that the Torah tells us is that Hashem wants us to recall that we were given Sukkot to live in in the desert when Hashem took us out of Egypt. Hashem says, I caused the Jewish people to dwell in Sukkot, and therefore I want you to all make Sukkot. Okay, so that pertains to the Jewish people. That does not pertain to the, to the rest of the nations of the world. So why do we find these really interesting prophecies regarding the ultimate future that relates specifically to Sukkot and also to the recognition of all the nations of the world of Hashem being king on Sukkot? I would have thought it would be much more appropriate that they should come for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, when we proclaim that Hashem is king, we blow the shofar. That would make sense that all the nations of the world should come then. After all, they are judged on Rosh Hashanah. So why is it specifically the holiday of Sukkot that we find these prophets, uh, these prophecies, and specifically that all the nations of the world will come and recognize Hashem and celebrate the holiday of Sukkot? So I'd like to begin with first a little bit of a, an esoteric explanation of the Lulav and the Esrog. And hopefully with this, we can build a more practical understanding of what it is that's possible to understand how Sukkot is a time of the continuation of the days of awe, where there is actually another opportunity to merit being inscribed in the Book of Life. So the rabbis do say that one of the symbolisms related to the four species is four parts of the body. The esrog represents the heart, the lulav represents the spine, the hadassim represent the eyes, and the aravos, the willows, represent the lips. So we have heart, spine, eyes, and lips. And like I mentioned, it's esoteric because that's not the first thing that we think of when we're taking a lulav. But obviously, if the rabbis say that this is correlated, there is truth to it. So I would like to suggest, let's just for the moment accept the notion of the rabbis, that these four species represent these four parts of the body. If so, a very clear way to look at the taking of the lulav and the esrog is that it's taking a person. When we pick up the lulav and the esrog, we're, we're picking up a, so to speak, skeletal structure of the essential components of a person, the heart, the spine, the eyes and the lips. Now, obviously, you know, we could have thought that it's the head, 
So it seems that these are the parts of the body, especially the heart, the lips, and the eyes, that are also the vehicles of both feeling and communication. We're not seemingly um, focusing so much on brain, but obviously the heart and, and, and the eyes and the lips, nothing can function without the brain. So it needs a little bit further explanation why it's specifically these four parts. But if we look at these four parts as the model of a human being, and we then ask ourselves, why are we taking them? And why are we waving them? A very likely suggestion is because we are offering ourselves in service to Hashem. Here we are, so to speak, Hashem. We lift up the eyes, the heart, the lips, the spine. Here's a miniature version of me. And when I pick it up and I wave it in the four directions like I would do with an offering, I am offering myself to be a servant of Hashem. Now, one would think that recognizing Hashem and Rosh Hashanah would be enough to actually demand that uh, we would be offering ourselves in service to him. And if we ask for forgiveness, so then certainly we should be in service to him. But one thing that's very important in life is that we don't only have an intellectual awareness of important concepts, but we actually carry them out. We act them out. And so therefore, what I think is happening in the holiday of Sukkot is we are actualizing being a servant of Hashem, given over to whatever service Hashem wants me to fulfill. And the only way that we can get to the ultimate future is to actually perform all the different services, all the different things that Hashem wants performed in this world. Now, one of the main things happens to be having children. As the, as the Talmud tells us, that the Mashiach does not come until all the souls that Hashem created to become people will actually be utilized and that all those souls turn into people. And I'm taking that a step further. I'm saying it's not enough that the people become materialized into human beings, but they actually need to become materialized into human beings that are servants to Hashem and practically carry out acts of service to Hashem. How is it that we progress from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Sukkot, that we then look at Sukkot as the time of our service to Hashem? Well, very simply, Sukkot is the time that we recognize it really is God's world. It's just an illusion that it's our world, because the only real protection is God. And as we know, the fact that we live in a structure that must have a roof that is not permanent, tells us that this is God's world. That's the definition of a sukkah. To live in service to God is to have that idea firmly embedded and internalized into oneself. If I completely internalize that my job in this world is to be the servant of Hashem because it really is Hashem's world, then I can actually say that I am going to actualize my service to him. One of the most incredible things about being a servant of Hashem is the happiness and the joy that that brings. Because there is nothing more important than having a purpose. Having a purpose means that I am significant, that what I do is meaningful. 
And this is a major, major lesson, I believe, that we learn from the story of Yonah towards the end of Yom Kippur. When we read the book of Yonah on Yom Kippur, one of the main messages of the book of Yonah is, Yonah, here you are running away, not wanting to deliver prophecy to the non-Jewish nations of the world because you think that the Jewish people are more important. And if the non-Jewish nation makes the Jewish people look bad, that's not good for the Jews. And at the same time, Yonah, you can't handle not having that tree that grew to protect you wither and die. The famous Kikayon that we read about at the end of the book of Yonah. Says Hashem to Yonah, don't you understand that in the kingdom of Hashem, every single person, Jewish or not Jewish, every single animal, owned by a Jew or not owned by a Jew, every single little tree can serve and does have a tremendous purpose. That is a major lesson, I believe, of the book of Yonah. From Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we all have an opportunity to commit properly to be the servant of Hashem that we were intended to be, that would require us to be on a high level, that would require us to not be sinners, and if we sin, to actually repent with a full heart so that we could become the best versions of ourselves that we're supposed to be. But if for some reason we're still shying away and we haven't yet become integrated with the person that we really are supposed to become, we wouldn't really deserve to be in the book of life. Because sealed on Yom Kippur are those people that deserve, so to speak, to be a subject of Hashem. What does it mean that they deserve to be a subject of Hashem? It means that they have more merits than demerits. They've done the appropriate amount of confession and true transformation and repentance that allows them to be considered a tzaddik. Then that person becomes part of this group of people called the Mamleches Kohanim, the kingdom of the Kohanim. Those people that are dignified and elevated and set apart and have a special status, that the work that they do is in tremendously and obviously incredibly important. That is the typical role of the Jew, and Jews are responsible to become that. But what if we didn't become that between Elul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Well, the answer is we pick up the Lulav and the Esrog, the Hadassim and the Arabas, and we say, God, maybe I don't deserve to be the human being that I'm supposed to be, whether it's the inventor, the rabbi, the engineer, the doctor, the lawyer, whatever is supposed to be a major of major significance and impact on the world. I want you to know, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I will sweep the sidewalk if that's my job. I will take out the trash if that's my job. Whatever service, God, you want me to do, sign me up. And the holiday of Sukkot, which reminds us of the fact in a very practical sense that it's truly God's world, is the holiday that tells us that in the future, everybody is going to be in obvious service to Hashem. And because of that, it becomes an incredibly appropriate time for the whole world to know that God is king. It's not just about the Jewish people proclaiming on Rosh Hashanah that God is king. 
It's about Hashem manifesting and becoming obvious to the whole world that it is his universe, where they will clearly understand that God is king. And unbelievably enough, even though he is everywhere and he is, you know, infinite and uh, unapproachable, nonetheless, his residence, his White House, so to speak, is actually Yerushalayim. And for the nations of the world that do not come up to pay homage to the God who is king and reigning his kingship from Yerushalayim, they do not get reign. That's the result. Because once the king is present and you're not willing to pay the proper respect to his monarchy, you don't receive his bounty. So the major lesson that we're suggesting from the book of Yonah that carries through from Yom Kippur through Sukkot and then ultimately to Hoshana Rabbah is that God as our king will give us whatever job he, so to speak, needs to get done as long as we are willing to sign up to be a volunteer, so to speak, for that service. And that explains a very difficult phrase that uh, we say in our prayers. We say it a lot of places, uh, but very notably, we say it in the Hoshana prayers regularly. We say, Hoshana, Hashem, Laman, Chalokeinu, Hashem, save us for your sake. Hoshana, Hashem, save us because of you being our creator. Save us for your sake. For your sake. We say over and over and over, Laman, why do we, what do we mean for Hashem's sake? And the answer is because unbelievably enough, Hashem cares about what happens in this world. And he wants that people should sign up to do the jobs that are needed to be done to make this world the place that he intended. A world full of generosity, a world full of morality, a world full, a world full of the recognition of truth. And in order for that to happen, we need the Jews to be the Jews, the Mamlachas Kohanim. But if unfortunately there are some Jews that are not, we certainly need them to sign up for any job available. And part of the message of the prophet uh, Zechariah is really the same that we find in the Torah. One of the unique aspects of the holidays of Sukkot is that we bring a total of 70 offerings relating or corresponding to the 70 nations of the world. Why do we do that? because it's the Jewish job to give purpose and meaning to the rest of the world and atonement and forgiveness and blessing and bounty. All of this is part of the Jewish responsibility. And so therefore, it's not at all just a coincidence that we are having a judgment continue after Yom Kippur. Because even though ultimately what God wants is for us to be the servants of caliber, of this very high level that he intended for us, if ultimately we don't become that servant, we can still sign up to do anything on the team that needs to get done. And finally, all of this leads to the tremendous happiness, which is really the hallmark of Sukkot. It's the happiest, really, of all of our holidays. Shmini Atzeris, which we also celebrate Simchas Torah is especially joyous about that day. The Torah says, and you will be only happy because happiness actually only comes to people that feel and know 
their cosmic sense of purpose. Unfortunately, most of the world thinks that happiness is about attaining pleasures of various types. And as we see empirically in the world for many, many people who seem to have access to all different kinds of pleasures uh, that come along with billions of dollars and uh, fame and uh, political influence, uh, we see that usually that does not seem to be an exact formula and recipe for happiness. But people who know that they truly make a difference in this world and work hard to make a difference and serve a purpose, those are people that are actually genuinely happy. And that is the reason that Hoshana Rabbah is the night before Shmini Atzeris, which is, and you will be only happy. Because hopefully by this point, we've lived in the, you know, the sukkah for these seven days, and we've come to enough of an understanding of what really matters in this world is how we comport ourselves with a sense of purpose and impact of significance in the world. And then we will actually experience tremendous happiness. That's the real joy and, and, and fulfillment that comes from a sense of, of purpose. And that also is a sense of completion. Um, one of the very interesting things about the holiday of Sukkot and the Torah is that all of the three regalim, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, are mentioned in the holiday of Sukkot, both in Parshas Emor and in Parshas Re'eh. And the reason is because there is a, a, a cycle that's happening uh, in the bringing together of these three holidays. I spoke about this on Wednesday. That's really coming to fruition, no pun intended, complete fruition on Sukkot. And that is all part of finally, finally recognizing God as king and our purpose in the world and signing up to do that job. And hopefully, uh, with all this in mind, we will truly have a tremendously uplifting, uh, a real contentment and fulfillment, knowing that we are significant, even the kikayun is important. And as Jews, we're not only significant for our fellow Jews were also significant for the entire world. And that's part of the undeniability of the invincibility of Jewish purpose, because at the end of the day, it's only the Jewish people that are committed to making sure that God's kingdom becomes apparent to the whole world, which is part of what we mean when we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. And that's why on this Sukkot, and on this first day of Sukkot, we talk about the ultimate future which speaks of Bayom Hahu Hashem Echad And that's how my father explains, that's how Rashi actually learns. Listen, Jewish people, Hashem is our God now. He's our God. But in the future, he will be Hashem Echad for the whole world. Bayom Hahu Hashem Echad is the fulfillment of that. Let's do questions or comments. How is everything? Good, good. Same to you. Good, Rebuto. How are you, Rebuto? Are you in Pennsylvania or Florida? Yes, Pennsylvania. Okay. What should I tell you? <laughs> I was why you were talking. Something came to my mind. It could be that's the reason sickos, everybody's outside to show the world that we try to spread. I mean, just, I never thought about that, but why you were saying that, but that's, I'm stopping here. I don't want to add or subtract. 
was a beautiful speech to give us yeah i'm saying that's why i just thought about it. that's why we put everybody on the street to spread and we are people that we're spreading God's. We're gonna have an uncovered one day, giving us both ways for today and future. Beautiful, beautiful. Very well Thank said. You. Go ahead. Amen. Thank you. You said really this word. I get pito. I get pito. Yes. Anybody else? Ah. Um. Let me see. can't tell okay well everyone i know everybody's super busy i wish everybody a great jumptive and a good shabbos always a joy joseph did you want to say something good what's the weather over there would you 60s no talk about the, 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 the i'm not in new york so i'm telling you the new york is flooded but you asked yeah. me i wasn't going to tell you but you asked me no, I'm telling you, I'm not in New York, but then New York is flooded. There's water on the streets, you can ride a boat. It's crazy stuff. Man. Really? No, no, no. Bar yeah, yeah, it's it crazy, crazy stuff, like a marble. Uh, wow. may, may, uh, may I just ask for a quick uh, about why this is Mansim Hosseinu? I think uh, a lot of the holidays, we, we think of different things. And this why is this particularly singled out as a season of joy? And how can we celebrate it that way? Oh, great. Uh, thank you. I should have mentioned that. So I'm suggesting that the reason it's Mansim Hosseinu, um, that it's because we now are internalizing that happiness depends on us fulfilling the purpose and a mission as God's servant. And when we do that, that's the way we become truly happy. Um, you know, most people, when I ask them to try to think of what makes them happy or did they have, ever have a moment when they felt just incredibly happy and content and joyous inside and they think about it and they say yeah and usually it has to do with an accomplishment of significance that they did that benefited others usually If I may, I, I, I thank you for that. Please. I'm reminded of Adler's book, A Search for Meaning, in which uh, apparently what really brings a person fulfillment is to find meaning in their life. And I know we read Kohelis and he, his experience uh, came out of the concentration camps. And I think it's, it's really uh, amazing how in looking at the real world and finding meaning, even in some of the more... Uh, uh, more disappointing things is 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 a pathway to joy uh, through th through a realistic outlook and seeing past the superficial things and to to the real important things. Uh, Absolutely, uh, great, really excellent points. Are you giving Sharon Paul Moed? Uh, yes, Wednesday and Friday, yes. Uh, probably not the week after. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Good job. 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 Good job.